0: to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. As the calendar flips to December, it's natural for our thoughts to turn towards health and well-being, especially with those New Year's resolutions just starting to form in our heads. Today's show is packed with insights and advice to help you take care of not just yourself, but also the loved ones in your life. From mental health to physical well-being, I've got you covered in today's show. Here's what's coming up. We kick off with Susan Blaine, the courageous founder of the Dare to Be Vulnerable Project. Susan's personal journey through depression, panic disorder, and PTSD has led her to create a platform that fosters open discussions about mental health and the transformative power of vulnerability. Her inspiring story is a beacon of hope and healing, and she's here to share her valuable insights with us. Next, Anne Brody brings us her weekly entertainment roundup. This week, we delve into the Nordic film Fallen Leaves, which poignantly captures life's quieter moments. We'll also explore the CBC docuseries Swan Song, celebrating Karen Kane's remarkable 50 seasons with the National Ballet of Canada, and take a peek at the Buccaneers on Apple TV, which Anne finds a bit too far-fetched for her taste. In our regular Care to Know segment, Dr. Christine Palmay returns to shed light on diabetes, a condition affecting millions and a significant concern for our healthcare system. As we observe National Diabetes Awareness Month, Dr. Palmay will debunk myths and offer crucial advice on managing this chronic condition. Shifting our focus to men's health, I welcome Ludovic Brunel and who joins me on behalf of New Roots Herbal, a returning sponsor to what she said. In the spirit of Movember, we're discussing a topic that often goes unnoticed, prostate health. While vital for men to know, women play an important role as well in supporting their health journey. Ludovic will provide us with essential insights into this crucial aspect of men's health, including prevention for BPH. Finally, I welcome back Dr. Mandeep Johal for another Smile Spectrum segment. As we brace for the colder months, Dr. Johal will guide us through the impacts of chilly weather on our dental health, how to manage the sugary temptations of the holiday season, and tips to keep our smiles bright through the festivities of Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and beyond. So whether you're looking to uplift your mental health, stay informed on the latest in entertainment or gain valuable health insights, today's show is your go-to source for nurturing both mind and body, right here on 105.9 The Region. In today's first interview, we're looking into a deeply personal and powerful topic with Susan Blaine, the founder of the Dare to be Vulnerable Project. Susan's journey is one of resilience and courage, having faced significant mental health challenges, including depression, panic disorder, and PTSD. Her experiences led her to create the DTBV Project, a platform that encourages open conversations about mental health and the power of vulnerability. Susan's story is not just one of struggle, but also of hope and healing. And she's here to share her insights and the impact of her project with us. Welcome to
1: what she said, Susan. Thank you so much, Candice. I'm glad to be here.
0: Can you start by telling us about your personal journey and what led you to create the Dare to Be Vulnerable project?
1: Yeah, one word: trauma. I, in 2019, through an act of betrayal, I lost everything. So I was just coming into my fifty-fifth year, and not a time in your life where you expect to be homeless. I lost my relationship. I lost my home. I wasn't working. I lost my savings, and I was left with fifty thousand dollars in debt and nowhere to go. Uh, For twenty months, I was homeless. I and I lost the will to live at one point. It was the lowest I'd ever felt, and I. I had a conversation with my best friend uh, about the thoughts I was having in my head. And she said this to me, she said, Susan, you need more help than I can give you. And you need to be hospitalized. I can't tell you, Candace, how hard that was to hear. Yeah. But it was what I needed to hear. It landed where it needed to land. And the next day she held my hand and we walked into the Queensway Carleton hospital in Ottawa. I was admitted uh, to the, uh, mental health unit. I was in there for a couple of weeks. I was admitted on March 11th, 2020, two days before COVID struck. Spectacular timing. Right? Uh, (laughs) And it was the beginning of my healing journey. And it was because of that courageous conversation that I had with my friend Judy that began my healing. And so that's why I'm very passionate about having these courageous conversations, talking about our mental health, we all have a mental health. Like we have a brain health, right? Like we have a gut health, like we have a heart health. It's not something outside of us. And, you know, now that I've been doing the work for a while, and I've had so many conversations peer to peer, I've become a mental health champion, because I'm very passionate. Silence is deadly. And we need to break the silence and let people who are struggling in silence, of which there are many, let them know that they're not alone. And that's the mission of the Dare to Be Vulnerable Project. And we're really gaining some great w- momentum. And I'm very proud uh, to be doing this important work.
0: The the concept of vulnerability, you know, is it's often seen as a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your project really highlights it as a strength. And, uh, by the way, for the record, I absolutely agree with you. I think being vulnerable is a very brave thing to do. So, but can you explain your perspective on this
1: and how embracing vulnerability has helped you? Oh my gosh, it's been a game changer for me. I don't think, and I come from a corporate, the corporate world, uh, and I don't think I could spell the word, or have I? I don't think I had ever spoken it out loud because it was a sign of weakness. Never let them see a sweat, suck it up, just push through. Uh, but it was killing me. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and her work. And, I do love Brene Brown. Right? And, you know, she talks about vulnerability and in, in courage. So you cannot have courage. Now, we're, we're comfortable with the word courage, but here's the thing. We can't be courageous unless we are vulnerable. You cannot have courage without vulnerability so the two go hand in hand and it's a superpower and i've seen it over and over again i'm about to do my seventh event courageous conversations with farmers next week talk about a tough audience a silent tough you know quiet keep it all in type of community and but they are struggling so what I've witnessed with over six events so far and six hundred people is the power that vulnerability has to ignite compassion and connection and inspiration. And it's something to experience. Uh, it it really is powerful. It's almost difficult to articulate in words. And and mental
0: health is still this topic that a lot of people really find difficult to discuss openly. So how does your uh, project encourage people to break their silence and then the stigma that surrounds these discussions?
1: Well, I hope you can come out to one of our events, Candice, and experience it full uh, firsthand. But it's really the power of sharing our stories. For those that have the courage and dare to be vulnerable and go first, we have this kind of motto, like we go first. And by doing that, it gives others permission So just October 25th, we had an event with 100 people, and we had four on stage, and then we had some step up to the open mic, all sharing, all different stories, but courageously sharing their story to people in the audience. And what happens is there is this sense of, oh, I'm not alone. They're experiencing what I'm experiencing There's a, there's a, there's a feeling of connection and that me too. I'm not alone. And it's, it's community that's fostered. It's connection. And it doesn't matter your background. There's mental health does not discriminate. It's a human thing. So it doesn't, it it breaks down all of the barriers. There was so much uh, diversity in that room a couple of weeks ago and, Everybody was connecting and talking and and relating to one another on that level, on that human level. So that's what it does. I mean, we talk about diversity and and inclusion. I think mental health is the pathway through.
0: Well, it's something, it doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is. We all have mental health that uh, we have to deal with at some point in our life. It's unavoidable. Um, So your platform encourages others to share stories like could you maybe share some of the impact these stories are
1: having on others well i just got off the phone yesterday with somebody i was talking to because we're looking to roll out lunch and learns and and workshops in the workplace and she came out to the session and i said so what did you think uh, about the session kate she said well i have to tell you it felt heavy at times emotional but ultimately inspiring She said, it stayed with me. And this was three weeks ago. She says, still to today. She said, I went into work two days later and wore my T-shirt because we have these T-shirts. I should have worn it today. Uh, And she said, and it started conversations with my colleagues. And she said, so Susan, I understand the work. It's just helping us to open up and break that silence within ourselves and with others. And it's, it's had a, a tremendous impact in everybody. It's f- something we feel. It's palpable. And, you know, I, f- I was on a television the other day doing a, a bit of promotion for a event next week. And both in both cases, the interviewer said, oh, well, we're hearing a lot about that. We hear that a lot. And I said, yes, we do. But guess what? We're not experiencing it enough. We're hearing about it. And that's not the same as experiencing it, putting it into action. And that's what this project is doing. It's encouraging and fostering these courageous conversations so that we can give permission for others to step in and rise up and maybe have a, a courageous conversation with someone that they trust and break their own silence. It's a, it's, it's a big first step for so many.
0: If somebody's listening and they want to take that first step, but they are they have trepidation, they're worried and scared, what would you say to them? Come on out to an event. Where are all your events? Are you running them strictly in the Ottawa area? Or are you spread
1: out over Ontario? Right now it's been in Ottawa. We'll have our seventh event next week. Uh, and then we we're doing one December 5th. We'll have done eight this year and we're lining up next year. I've been asked to come to Halifax and do one there. So I'm really, that's, I'm really excited because people are embracing it. I think there has never been a better time in the world for this work. This isn't new work, Candace, right? Stigma right. has been around a long time. But because of COVID and because of things that are happening in the world, we are paying more attention to our mental health. And we're starting to recognize our mental health as something that we all have and something that we need to pay attention to and understanding that we can build a toolbox of things that we can do practices and strategies and techniques to strengthen our mental health, especially when we're struggling. Absolutely. Susan, I I love this.
0: I love the entire, everything about the project, being vulnerable, getting out there, connecting with others. So I want people to be
1: able to find you. Where's the best place for them to do that? DareToBeVulnerable.com. Uh, they can go to the website they can see the work that we're doing we're just working on expanding that so uh, a couple of months from now there'll be a lot more to see we've got some digital stories that are coming out of these courageous conversations so people can share them and allow those stories to have impact and we're going to continue to have these community events and on that website you'll be able to see the upcoming events they're all free candace we keep these events free so they're accessible to all, and we rely on the community to help sponsor these events so that we can keep them free and accessible to everybody in the community. Fantastic. All right. Thank you, Susan, so much for
0: joining me today. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Candice. Hope is heavy. A hundred bricks lead on my desk It's hard IT. to
0: Time for Saturday Night at the Movies with Anne Brody. And Anne, you're coming in with uh, four or five new ones this week. So let's start with Fallen Leaves.
2: Fallen Leaves, a Finnish film. And you know, those Scandinavian films, I mean, if they're not noir, they're still downbeat. (laughs) (laughs) Gloomy. And that's what this one is. A guy and a gal meet, and they're both on sort of downward tracks in their lives. Um, She's a teacher. And he's a a construction worker. Um, So, you know, there's a little bit of a spark. And life is tough. I mean, winter hits there and it's dark forever. So there's, there's, and that sort of underlines the sort of tragic underpinning of this. So he loses her phone number and she's thrown into kind of a depression. And eventually he finds her and they go out and have a, uh, dinner. They're both poor. So like totally bare bones dinner. And um, he asks her to buy him a drink, another drink, and she can't, she has no money. And um, so he storms out. <laughs> and it's just all these missed connections and sort of misunderstandings and not understanding one another um, in terms of the problems that they're going through. So she takes in a stray dog and he, he keeps her kind of happy and uh, he swears off alcohol because he's just lost his job. I mean, it just goes down, down, down.
0: Um, Sounds like a but, country you know, song.
2: Yeah, that's what it needs. Exactly. <laughs> As a matter of fact, funny you should say that because country music, country Western is huge in Scandinavia. <laughs> American go, it's country a perfect fit. <laughs> yeah. So But, I mean, it's a very subtle film. It's slow as can be. It's really intense in terms of the the intimacy and the dialogue spare. And the the music and and score are pretty good, though. So, you know, it's in theaters. Okay. Take a chance if you like your things to move at a reasonable pace. (laughs) Go somewhere else.
0: But. You're, not, you're not instilling me with a lot of confidence to see this one. <laughs> okay, let's let's move on. Let's talk about long,
2: long walk. Yeah. Yeah. So this activist and model, Alexandra Orbic Nilsson, and uh, two Bushman friends of hers, number uh, Kui and Comanche, go on a walk across fourteen hundred and ninety kilometers from the wilderness of Namibia to the ocean. And it's sort of a, a spirit and life opening experience for them. Um, uh, and it's, you know, we should all do that kind of thing. We should all take the path less traveled, in this case, along long, hot, sandy route. But yeah, so that is on,
0: what is that on?
2: In theaters.
0: All right. Uh, you are in love with Swan Song. Oh my goodness, I sure am.
2: Karen Kane stepped down as artistic director a couple of years ago from the National Ballet of Canada and that's been her home for five decades. She's 72 now. she's retired and um, sort of helps retired other retired ballerinas cope. Uh, but she accomplished so much. She was one of the biggest stars around and I'm not just meaning in Canada in the 70s. And 80s, Andy Warhol painted her picture, which incidentally she hates. But um, so she's done so much for the ballet and her parting gift when she stepped down as artistic director was to create her own version of Swan Lake, which is one of the most popular ballets going. So but she really concentrated on the the theme of the trapped women, the swans which has never been done. She did it against advice. So now I have an interview not with Karen but with the filmmaker and it's it's uh it's worthy. It's it's the woman is so interesting she drops a lot of spills a lot of tea. So that's fun too. All right. And anyway, that's
0: on your interview is on what she said talk.com, right?
2: Yeah. And, and, where and can the they show catch Swan Song uh as of November 22nd on CBC and CBC Jam.
0: Okay, I, and it's
2: it's a dilly. It's
0: great. Perfect. I I want to talk about if we could, can we talk about the Buccaneers for a second? Because there seems to be a real trend right now towards these kinds yeah, of
2: shows. Yeah, there is. Yeah, for a fusion show, they try to marry old-fashioned, like 100 years old, more than 100 years old, like Bridgerton um, girls, and they they modernize them. To my in my opinion to an extent where it's ridiculous. And so in the Buccaneers now on Apple TV, American girls go to England and create havoc. Their mothers have sent them there to find rich hus- rich titled husbands. And now these girls are high society, but it's just so absurd. I'm sorry, I'm just not down with this one. However, there's a lot of eye candy. It's based on Edith Wharton, who's a wonderful author, who's uh, on her unfinished novel. And, you know, it's a st- you might as well have said it in modern day. To me, it just rings untrue so deeply. But it's full of eye candy and happy young spirited girls who break all the rules, which doesn't go over very well in the UK, um, in their hunt for husbands. So, you might like it tell me watch it and tell i don't me. know
0: I don't know that I could give it the time of day to tell you the truth Anne um <laughs> I like bridgerton, I liked Bridgerton, but uh you know what but tends to happen well. is that these things just start to copy each other, right? You get a success like yeah. Bridgerton, and then everybody jumps in on the bandwagon. So I don't know what I think of it. Yeah, but, and you the know,
2: concept is just so wrong. I think.
0: Yeah. So you've got your thoughts. You've got all of these uh, all over on talk dot com, and thank you so much for joining me. And we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Stay warm.
1: Choose. Gotta take a deep breath, time to focus on you. All the big fights, long nights
2: that you've been through. I got a bottle of tequila, I've been saving for
0: as we observe National Diabetes Awareness Month this November, we're taking a closer look at a disease that affects millions of Canadians and costs our healthcare system an astounding $30 billion annually. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Christine Palmay, a renowned family doctor with a thriving practice in Midtown Toronto, who is here on behalf of care to know to help us debunk common misconceptions about diabetes and provide valuable insights on managing this chronic condition. Welcome back to the show, Christine. Thank you so much, Candace. Again, just a joy to be here. Can you help us understand uh, diabetes in Canada and why there is a need for more education and awareness around
3: this disease? So a couple of things. Number one, numbers are increasing. We have patients who are living longer. But unfortunately, uh, due to a myriad of lifestyle changes, hormonal, et cetera, and diabetes uh, diagnoses are on the upstroke, and we have a dwindling primary care population. So many of these patients aren't, uh, are left without readily accessible care. It's a problem. And there are a lot of misconceptions
0: around type 2 diabetes. Can you address some of the myths and share the truth about
3: this condition? Yeah, so I, I think that the first thing is that I'll know if I have diabetes. Classically, people think about you know, urinating frequently, et cetera. The reality is, is most diagnoses happen, you know, do a blood test and a you know, patient doesn't have any symptoms. So it's really important to be checking in regularly to check your parameters, blood pressure, your blood work, et cetera. Um, I think now with the advent of medications in some way, you know, we have treatments for diabetes. uh, But unfortunately, uh, the perception is is that it's no longer serious. It is absolutely serious. You know, outcomes uh, include dialysis for patients in renal failure, so with kidney problems, the risk of stroke, of heart attack, the risk of neuropathies, so problems with neurological symptoms. Those are still of concern and really, you know, why we're treating live diabetes. Uh, And I think the other... um, misconception is that we can cure diabetes. The reality is, is that once you've been diagnosed, you're headed for a health journey ahead. This is a chronic disease, and the medications that we have in place, while they are excellent, they just really, um, they slow down the progress and the progression of the disease to avoid those terrible outcomes that I listed before. So it is not curable. It requires um, you know, daily effort. Uh, but thankfully, we have supports in place. We have medications. Uh, so the journey is not as uh, difficult as it was, let's say, 20 years ago. And for those who have been newly diagnosed with type
0: 2 diabetes, what are the first steps they should take to manage this condition?
3: So, number one, you know, looking at lifestyle. Lifestyle changes have to happen. They're not um, going to absolutely treat the condition, but things like diet, exercise, weight management, monitoring your carbohydrates—absolutely important. Get informed. Um, you know, and we'll provide some insight as to where to go for that. Number two, sign up with a healthcare professional. You need guidance. Uh, medications, it's now recommended that we start hard and we start early. And the other thing is is that when you have diabetes which addresses blood sugars, you, know, you have to also think of different ways of treating blood pressure. We look at cholesterol differently. eye exams are needed. so it's not just a sugar or a carbohydrate issue. you know it becomes a holistic what I call cardiovascular health issue. And I think,
0: you know, when somebody's diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, you need to call in the whole team, like your family, your friends, because you need their support to get through this. So what role do they play?
3: Well, number one, in terms of meals, that's often a point of contention, you know, with patients, especially, you know, since our society is so entrenched into traditional meals, et cetera, every family has different traditions, and those may have to change. And there's a rallying that needs to happen. As I mentioned, it's a chronic disease. So you need daily support to make sure that you're doing your exercises, counting your carbohydrates, taking your medications. It, It really does take a village. And and what are the resources that Care2Know offers
0: for uh, Canadians who have type two diabetes, and I'm going to assume type one diabetes
3: as well. Correct. So Care2Know.ca. Please, for our uh, listeners, log on, see what's available. It's a credible site. Uh, input from medical professionals like myself. You sign up, it's free, you get emails uh, instantaneously, you know, with different types of health topics, and it is ever-evolving. You know, it obviously changes uh, based on evidence and guidelines. Uh, Topics are being added. And and as I've said before, you know, it is currently right now the era of misinformation. And, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we are having a guide when, when, browsing the web and getting health information from reputable, credible sites. Uh, I always tell my patients that information is empowering. Misinformation can do harm.
0: Yeah, you know, it was funny. There was a video that went viral on TikTok a little, a little while ago talking about, um, you know, these things you could take to prevent wearing glasses. And this is not solid information. So
3: <laughs> avoid the TikTok videos for health advice. No, I mean, there's some things you can dabble in. But when it comes to your health, you, you need to go to resources and experts. So care sign up. And uh, I'm going to say browse safely. All right.
0: And and I just want to let people know as well that there you have a blog post up on what she said talk.com about this particular issue that people can go read if they want to go a little deeper on this topic. And thank you for joining me and we'll have you back next month. See you
4: soon. I do my
2: With Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
0: We're mixing things up a bit. Well, usually we focus on women's voices. It's important to remember the men in our lives too. So in the spirit of taking care of our guys, especially as we wrap up Movember, I'm excited to have Ludovic Brunel and D join me on behalf of New Roots Herbal. We're going to chat about something that doesn't get enough attention, prostate health. It's a topic that's crucial for men. And as women, we play a big role in supporting their health journey. Welcome to What She Said, Ludovic.
4: Thank you. It's my pleasure to be on the show.
0: So so let's dive right in. Can you explain the role of the prostate gland in men's health?
4: For sure. The prostate gland plays a key role in reproduction. Um, basically, it produces a liquid that um, comes out with ejaculate and it helps sperm survive and uh, get to where the, it needs to go or where they need to go to fertilize the egg, essentially. So very important for the male reproductive system.
0: And BPH, or benign prostatic hyperplasia, if I said that correctly?
4: Correct, yes.
0: Is a term that many might not be familiar with. So can you shed some light on what it is and how it impacts the prostate?
4: For sure. It's one of the most common problems we see associated with a prostate, um although the name is a mouthful bph basically the name says it the prostate gets bigger hyperplasia essentially what happens is that as men age the cells within the prostate start to multiply and that's what we call hyperplasia and um the cells in the prostate gland don't necessarily become larger but there's more and more cells that accumulate um, you can think of it like too many marbles inside of a balloon. So eventually the balloon starts to expand and stretch. This, this growth of the prostate uh, means that the prostate can change in size, obviously. And uh, for men in their 20s, usually the prostate is about the size of a walnut. But it starts to grow And in the 40s. It's usually about the size of an apricot and then in the 60s and onwards, as large as a, as a kiwi. And of course, it can get much worse, and and that's usually when we'll start to see some symptoms.
0: And, well, actually, that's a perfect segue to my next question. So what are some of the telltale signs that might indicate a man is dealing with an enlarged prostate, and how can it affect sort of his everyday life?
4: Yeah, so the effect can be profound if the the... Prostate grows significantly. Um, Basically, it starts to expand in all directions. So uh, it presses on structures that are just outside of it. And because it sits right below the bladder, it'll push up on the bladder. Through the prostate uh, is the urethra. So the urethra is the tube basically that we use to empty our bladder. And so if it starts to compress on that, then it starts to affect the urethra and flow through the urethra. So the most common symptoms we typically see are increased frequency of urination because the prostate pushes on the bladder. It creates this pool. So it's very hard to empty the bladder fully. Um, There's a weaker stream because the urethra is getting compressed. Um, Urine doesn't flow out uh, the way it used to or the way it should. And of course, if the bladder doesn't empty properly, uh, because some urine stays in the bladder, it really increases the risk of urinary tract infections. And of course, one of the key symptoms and one of the ones that often brings men uh, in and and um, drives them to seek help is waking up often at night to use the bathroom. And of course, uh, that leads to poor sleep and, and uh, poor quality of life, fatigue. And it's also often a huge disturbance for the for the partner as well right It can rival snoring as a factor for sleep deprivation. The other thing to know is it's very very common. Um, the latest statistics from Statistics Canada show that there's about 3.7 million men that currently suffer from BPH in Canada.
0: Wow. As you mentioned, you know, getting up in the middle of the night, and I think this is where the ladies are going to really tune into this. So if someone is is showing those symptoms like a weak urine stream or frequent trips to the bathroom, uh, what should their next steps be? and, And how crucial is it to distinguish these symptoms from those of prostate cancer?
4: So that's the key thing, obviously, um, because BPH, the, the prostate is growing. We also need to know if, if the symptoms are associated with benign a benign growth, right? So um, and prostate cancer where we would have very similar, if not exactly the same symptoms. And so typically, you know, as soon as some of those symptoms are present, we want to start looking at additional testing for the prostate, One of the key tests to look at is called the prostate-specific antigen, which basically tells us how big the prostate is. And it's a simple blood test. Um, So that would be one of the things to do to rule out cancer.
0: So when it comes to treating BPH, then what are the usual routes to take? And are there any side effects that men should be aware of if, if they're pursuing these treatments?
4: Um, Yeah. So in terms of the conventional Western care, there's two prescription drugs that are basically recommended or or used in those types of conditions. One is a muscle relaxer and um, the other one inhibits the action of an enzyme that basically um, makes testosterone more potent and testosterone causes growth of prostate cells. Um, So we block that enzyme. Those medications, though, uh, affect hormones, and um, because they affect hormones, uh, their product monographs clearly shows that there can be significant side effects, and a lot of men will experience these, especially when they first start the medication, and they include uh, decrease in libido, erectile dysfunction. It can also affect mood uh, and lead to problems like depression and anxiety.
0: What about prevention, then? Are there... Are there ways to prevent, I mean, it sounds like this happens naturally over time, but are there ways to prevent it from becoming uh, problematic in your life? Are there, are there supplements and things like that that people can take to help?
4: For sure. There's supplements that are effective um, both at preventing the excessive growth of the prostate, but also that have been shown to be effective if someone suffers from symptoms of BPH. Um, probably the most well-known is saw palmetto extract, and we know that uh, the, the fat in the saw palmetto plant um, Im- improves urinary tract symptoms in several ways. They have an action via hormones, and they also decrease inflammation. Um, some of their benefits are very similar to what uh, we observe with prescription drugs for the treatment of BPH. Other uh, potential supplements that have been shown to be helpful, there's a, there's a pollen extract from rye, so rye flower pollen. In clinical studies, it's been shown to decrease uh, nocturia, so getting up um, the frequency of nighttime urination, and also during the day, uh, similar effect. There's also plant sterols, uh, beta sitosterol being one of them. Um, they're potent anti-inflammatory compounds, and they also play a role on hormones, especially the balance of androgens. And so those can also be very helpful.
0: You mentioned anti-inflammatories. And I'm curious, how much of an impact can diet have on prostate health?
4: Well, for, as for anything, really, uh, prostate uh, the prostate benefits from a healthy diet. Um, you know, some of the key things that we know help to promote overall health, but also the health of the prostate, um, eating well, meaning lots of vegetables, not too much processed food, maintaining a healthy weight is really important when it comes to the prostate, uh, regular exercise, um, not, not smoking, obviously avoiding tobacco products, and then um, alcohol is also problematic if it's overconsumed.
0: All right, wonderful. Ludovic, it's been great having you on the show. Where can people uh, find you?
4: Uh, they can find me through my website, uh, drludobrunel.com and, um, yeah, so that would be probably the easiest way.
0: Thank you so much for shedding light on a topic that's so important for the men in our lives. And to my listeners, remember taking care of your health and the health of your loved ones is key. If you or someone you know is experiencing any of the symptoms, don't hesitate to seek medical advice. And for those interested in natural solutions, check out New Roots Herbals Prostate Perform at your local health food store. Thank you again, Ludovic, for joining me today on What She Said.
4: Thank you. The pleasure was mine.
0: that time of the month where we dive into the world of holistic dental health with Dr. Mandeep Johal. Today in our Smile Spectrum segment, we're gearing up for the cold months ahead. We'll be talking about how the chilly weather affects our teeth, managing the sugary temptations of the holiday season, and some essential tips to keep our smiles bright and healthy through Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and beyond. So let's get started. Dr. Johal, welcome back.
5: Thank you so much, Candace.
0: So as we head into the colder months, what are some common dental issues people face? And how can we prepare our teeth for this change in the weather?
5: Well, I think the first thing that usually comes to mind is cold sensitivity. A lot of patients actually, or a lot of people in general, do suffer from cold, like sensitive teeth. Um, but usually those patients that are suffering from cold sensitivity around this season are the ones that already have a pre-existing condition, meaning they probably already have recession or wear on their teeth or if you just recently had some dental work done, right? Um, but th- yeah, that's probably the most common thing right now.
0: And, you know, the holidays are synonymous, obviously, with sweet treats, the, uh, you know, the specialty coffees we buy, all the chocolates and the cookies. So can you talk about the impact of those holiday feasts on our dental health and how can we enjoy them responsibly? Because please tell me you're not going to tell us to cut it right off.
5: Oh, gosh, no, I could never do that to myself, my kids or my family. No, we just got to obviously, moderation. We already know that. But I, I think people don't realize that you can have your sweets, just have it with your meal. Because when you have it with your meal, yeah, because the problem is with the sweets, we're just snacking throughout the day. And it's the snacking throughout the day that's actually affecting the pH in the mouth that's causing tooth decay or causing gum disease and other issues, um, gut issues, right? Um, But it's just have it with your meal and just take a little break and have some water after. So it really does go back
0: to that whole, like, mom knows best where you could have dessert when you finish your vegetables, right?
5: hundred percent. I mean, think about <laughs> I know, I think my grandparents you know, don't like my parents. They were always right. Um, <laughs> all, I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's just the holiday season, right? Like, think about it. When you go to our family or friend's house over the holidays, it doesn't matter what we're celebrating. We're just even doing family gatherings over the holidays. We're always constantly snacking, especially on those su- sugary treats like your aunt makes, your sister, or your mom makes. And you're not going to not eat them, but just have them in moderation and have them with a meal, and that's going to help you. And there's other things um, that can help you as well, like xylitol gum. We can jump on that as well because just having xylitol gum in general will help alkanize them out. So eating sugary stuff is decreasing our pH, making it more acidic and more likely for us to have cavities and gum disease. But then you have something like xylitol gum and mints, which is going to bring the pH up. And on top of that, xylitol has been shown to help fight cavities. Um, And it also kind of curves your sweet tooth a little bit, right? Because it's already sweet, so it helps you with that as well. And then just the sheer act of chewing actually will increase saliva production for you in the mouth. And that will also help balance, rebalance the mouth after eating as well. And just don't forget to have something basic as water. So when you say xylitol gum,
0: I think of sugar-free gum. Is it the same, or is it like? Does most of them do most of them have xylitol, or is there? Should we be looking for that ingredient specifically?
5: I would look for that ingredient because I don't know if you remember a little while back, um, they had said the negative effects of aspartame, because that's another known sugar that's added into gums and mints. But there's studies that now come out saying it's safe, but there's also studies that say it's not safe. The studies on xylitol um, show overconsumption of it is not the greatest, but don't overconsume it. I you just chew one for like, maybe five, 10 minutes and get rid of it. But I would just, I prefer to stay away from stuff where it says eat with caution, if there's studies that say that, right?
0: And what about uh, the other one, er- erythritol? That's another sweetener that's out there.
5: I don't like alcohol sugars. Um, If you do the research on that as well, it's not just for the teeth, but really for the gut um, to stay away from like synthetic fake sugars, right? Like xylitol is natural and we know all natural things are good for you, but xylitol is natural. So try to stay with more natural sugars. Um, But if we're looking for a gum specifically to help you over the holidays, I would stick with the xylitol gums and mints.
0: And what about the sugary drinks and sticky sweets that are all over the place? Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, I know moderation is key, uh, but are there safer alternatives we should be looking for with these things? I mean, you're not going to...
5: Not have like your wine. You're not going to have like the cocktail of the theme for the party. You know, we're if that's what you do and you want to drink, enjoy your drink. But you know, just remember to water. I would say water is key. Have sips of water just for hydration, keeping the mouth clean, and to help you with the overhang the next day.
0: <laughs> and I have a question. I have a question for you actually about that because I've I've heard that uh, if you brush your teeth too soon before having something sugary or something like uh, alcohol, that it can be more damaging to your teeth. Is that correct?
5: 100%. So don't um, brush your teeth, like usually even for eating, just in general with everything with drinking. Remember, drinks can also be very acidic. Um, and don't forget those carbonated drinks a lot of people like. My kids call it um, bubbly like or bubble water, um, carbonated water even. It, it's very uh, acidic and erode, it can erode our teeth as well. So what ends up happening is if you're brushing your teeth right before having these drinks or food, you've just made your tooth more porous. So you've just made it more prone to all these issues that these drinks can cause. Thanks for oh, bringing that up. It's good point, yeah. to know,
0: actually, because I i had read it and I thought, I don't know if this is real or not, so I was going to wait
5: and ask you. So that's good to know. But even after you have a meal, don't, don't go brush your teeth immediately right after. Always just let that mouth kind of rebalance itself first and then go brush your teeth. Always wait, usually about a half hour before you do that.
0: So a half hour before and a half hour after. Yep, easy to remember. Okay, perfect. Uh, you've mentioned in your notes here Remineralization. And I'm not even going to try the next word. I'm going to let you say it. (laughs) So can you explain how these contribute to strengthening our teeth?
5: Yeah. So when we earlier first were talking about sensitive teeth, this is a great solution to help patients um, with sensitive teeth is a remineralizing toothpaste. And the one that I recommend is hydroxyapatite. And hydroxyapatite helps to rebuild the enamel of the tooth. Um, making it stronger and helping you with the cold sensitivity of the teeth, and also helping you prevent decay as well.
0: And is is that so? Is that uh, something we would get in a dental office, or something we can treat at home?
5: Uh, you can look for the ingredients on the toothpaste that you buy. Uh, a lot of dental offices aren't really giving them out right now because they're it is newer, but we don't really get samples of hydroxyapatite to give out to our patients. Unfortunately, I wish I did. Um, but I just tell, I just recommend a couple of brands to patients. People buy everything online, it's just so easy. Just go online, toothpaste, and look for something that has hydroxyapatite, a remineralizing agent for your teeth. And
0: while we're on the topic of toothpaste and things, what are your feelings on, uh, you know, things like
5: charcoal toothpaste or the natural toothpaste? Do they work as well? Okay, so. Charcoal toothpaste, a lot of my patients do use it because I'm a holistic, more biological-based uh, dentist. I always say, you know, just don't do it every day, uh, maybe once a week or every other week because it's the same patients also want to use baking soda. It could be pretty abrasive, but just remember our enamel is super, super strong. It's stronger than bone. It can withstand baking soda, but just not frequently because then if you are putting something really abrasive on your teeth, you're going to be more prone to staining as well. Right. So not think about how many wine drinkers, you know, and some of them get stains and some of them don't. Well, if your tooth is a rough surface, you're more likely to get stains. So just do everything in moderation. Just don't overdo it with the baking soda and the charcoal, activated charcoal. Um, The other thing you mentioned is natural toothpaste. So it depends on what's in the natural toothpaste and like what we alluded to before, what is natural. Not all natural is safe. Um, I do stay away from fluoride toothpaste. Again, both ways are studies that support it and studies that don't support it. I want to be on the safer side because there's so many amazing alternatives. You know, there are patients that use fluoride religiously and still get cavities. um, And there are patients that don't use it and don't have any cavities. So I would just on the cautious side, just use an alternative to fluoride, which is hydroxyapatite, which we alluded to. Uh, you also mentioned the activated charcoal and baking soda as well all right excellent i think i'm gonna have to go change my toothpaste now so
0: thank <laughs> you for joining me today uh dr joe hall it's always a pleasure talking to you and thank you for not ruining the holidays by telling us that everything was off the table
5: <laughs> oh gosh happy holidays everyone and enjoy no of course not That's it for What She
0: Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 1059 The Region.
4: Previous episodes
2: of What She Said on 1059TheRegion.com.